Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners, and it is my absolute pleasure to uh, to be interviewing, having a conversational interview with uh, somebody that I'm really uh, pleased, um, if not honoured, to actually call a mentor, and that's Rob Moore. So uh, Rob, you, you in setting the scene around identity, you describe yourself as a best-selling author, world record holder, and business owner. A trifle modest? Um, well, they're all facts. So I actually do have a little bit of an issue with self-promotion. I don't mind marketing my stuff. I mean, I think everyone who knows me knows I'm all right with that. But, you know, I very rarely post in, like, bragging, if mm. you like. Mm. Um, I've written 14 books, seven of which have my name at the bottom and seven of which I'm either co-author or I helped the person write. Uh, and, yeah, at least three of them have gone to number one in all books in the world. So that's just a fact. I own many businesses, so that's a fact. Um, and yeah, I had two world records. I say had because I haven't tried to re-break them. One for the longest individual public speech uh, and then one for the, the longest team speech. Um, I'm still a bit British. I, I think I should probably shout a bit louder about what I do. But then sometimes I think you know people who listen or watch, maybe they know already. I don't want to repeat myself. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe you're digging into my self-worth issues here. Um, maybe we'll see. We'll see what materialises. Um, and the reason that I come at it from that angle, Rob, is around um, a word called philanthropy. Because from my understanding, and I'm massive into this, but my connection with you more latterly is being on getting to know you. Had I known about your philanthropy, one would argue that that connection would be made a lot quicker. Mm. It's not something that you kind of overtly put out there, is it, about the good work that you do and the contributions you make? No. Um, again, I feel like people might perceive that I'm doing that for selfish gain. Um, I, I feel like I don't need to shout about that. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that, Paul, because just today I got a one-minute Facebook audio message. Now, you rarely get audio messages on Facebook. You normally get messages, and I get hundreds of messages a day. I thought I'd have a listen to that, and a guy basically said... Um, I can't believe I've just listened to your podcast, how greedy you are, you know, how much money you grab off people and went into a one minute tirade. Um, and, and he had no idea how to foundation. He had, I'm, I probably do. I speak to three or four people a day on my own time. Uh, you know, like my, my keynote speaking fee is £10,000 £10, for 90 minutes. But if someone's struggling and it's, um, you know, it's National Mental Health Day today. Um, I mean, not that you need a day for it. Um, then I will always speak to them on the phone, no matter how busy I am. Um, so, yeah, I have a foundation, um, but I'm still figuring out where that goes. Uh, and, yeah, I've probably got £40,000 sitting in it ready to um, invest. But I, want, I feel quite a lot of responsibility. Like, I don't want to waste that money. I don't want it to be salaries, and you know, I don't want to just waste it. So I'd rather do, wait. Um, all the profits that I gain from the book money will go to my foundation, 
Um, and yeah, you know, I figured instead of waiting till I'm 50 or 60 or 70, um, why don't I start my foundation before I'm 40 and, you know, really be able to do something with it. I interviewed Sir Tom Hunter on my podcast, who's a billionaire, and he's got a foundation because he's, you know, probably nearly 20 years older than me. So he's further ahead than me. Um, and um, I'm probably going to go up and see him and I'm probably going to speak at his university. And I'm actually considering the first thing I do with my foundation to be to donate a big lump of money to his and maybe look at how we can venture together. It's almost as like a mini partnership. Now, yeah. that's not agreed. That's something I'm thinking of proposing to him. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm speaking a bit early on that. Um, but there's all, you know, like I feel a lot of responsibility to do stuff with that money. So no, I don't walk around going, oh, look at me. I'm a philanthropist. I give my money to everybody. Um, because I don't know, I guess I, guess I do a lot of things. Mm. You know, I have quite a few companies. I mean, Mark and I um, just got planning permission on a property that's probably worth about twenty-two million pounds that we bought for four point two million. I don't go around shouting about that. Um, I, I probably speak to someone who's in a bit of financial or sort of even emotional or mental trouble once or twice a day. Yeah. I don't go shouting about that. Maybe I should do that a bit more. <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel like people want to follow me. Like they follow me on the podcast because they want to learn more about being an entrepreneur, start up their business or making a bit more money. Um, and I suppose that's where I, I mostly focus. Um, but when it comes to launching something like a new book or a podcast or a course, I will make sure I let the world know about that. Yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So, dare I say, Rob, before focusing on your softer side uh, as a philanthropist, and, and do you actually, or to what degree, do you embrace that, that P word as part of your identity? And I know you've kind of generally answered that, but is that something that you would actually be comfortable with that label being, being placed against you, philanthropist? I mean, maybe. I think that it depends on the definition. You know, I don't feel like I'm Bill Gates or Warren Buffett level mm. philanthropist because I haven't given away billions. I'm not a billionaire. Um, I nearly said yet, yeah, but... Um, to me that you know once I became worth net 10 million um, I didn't need any more money um, and I'll come to your answer I just want to chuck a couple of things in here and one of them is you know a million pounds is not enough money to retire on now mm-hmm. and a lot of people think you know a millionaire is everything it's not I mean if you've got two kids you put them through private school that can be between 30 and 60 thousand pounds a year you're on a mortgage on a nice house a couple of nice cars a few nice holidays you know a realistic income for a million quid is five percent a year so, you know, 10 million is 500 grand a year. I can live on 500 grand a year. I can't live on 50 grand a year. Um, so, you, you know, for me enough, when I got, when my net worth surpassed 10 million, I thought, you know what, I could pretty much do anything I want and buy anything I want other than a private jet, but I don't want one. Um, you know, so that's good. Um, and so anything above that, it's like, yeah, okay, now I can seriously start thinking about giving it away. Um, but I've, been, I've given away more than a million pounds in this journey anyway. Um, so I guess you, if people perceive giving away more than a million pounds over the last 10 years and um, having a charitable foundation officially, um, and if they perceive that to be a philanthrop- philanthropic venture, then I suppose I should own that title a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the problem I have with myself, which is a blessing and a curse, is I'm always looking to be better, to do better, to learn, to grow. So I'm never satisfied. So I find it hard to really own certain labels. I've, I, I, can, I own being an entrepreneur, definitely, um, because I've, I'm creative from my art days and I've got enough business ventures and made enough money to feel good about that. I own being an author because I've written a lot of books and, and now really selling a good amount of books. Um, 
you know, anything else maybe I feel like I need to grow into. Um, but, you know, like I'm a philanthropist with three hours of my day of my time, you know, with podcast interviews like this and um, one to one calls I'll do on a daily basis where I donate my time and don't ask for my fee. That's probably as much a philanthropic venture as it is giving money away, because, you know, the most important thing I think you can give people is education and inspiration and belief and hope and tools more so than money. Not that I don't want to give money away, I do, but I'd rather give someone uh, knowledge and maybe some money to invest than just money. Almost teach them to fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just as a general um, definition of the one that I really love, and it's from Wikipedia, um, around philanthropy is love of humanity, come from the Greek origin, love of humanity. Yeah. And I think that sums it up perfectly. So, but I just I kind of go down this route to Rob to to embrace this as against the what I perceive, and I can only take sort of ownership for what I perceive because obviously I'm the one doing the uh, the interview around your disruptive entrepreneur. Some would say contrast because I see and experience a very different Rob to that brash, um, very very extremely good at marketing person um, that is very very successful. So I see that softer side and that's something that I feel that personally the world needs to see more of. Now, that's there's a big sort of uh, shout in that. Well, actually, Paul, it's not your call because it's not your life. And I accept that and I respect that. But I and I'll come to the, this. This will lead at the end, Rob, to, you know, um, a suggested alternative title um, just for a bit of fun. So this is where it's leading. So I just like to. Um, I'd like to quote you from chapter 19 of Life Leverage, where you're going about vision and purpose. What's yours? Um, so I want to help uh, more people across the world become financially educated, financially free, financially sustainable. So if you could sum that up into a vision statement, it is um, help as many people on the planet towards financial freedom. Um, and that could be through donations, that could be through getting the internet to the two to three billion people on the planet who still don't have internet connection. That could be creating a school, a library, a university. That could be going and teaching people myself, you know, by doing keynote speeches and traveling the world and that kind of stuff, for some of which I've done and there's still more to do. So that would be my personal vision. Now it was selfish when I was skinned and it had to be because, you know, you have to put your gas mask on first before you put it on someone else. And you know, like charity starts at home and how can you educate and inspire and help other people if you can't even pay your own mortgage, which is where I was 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but now I try and balance the selfish and the selfless. Um, and the selfish is, am I meeting my own needs? Am I looking after my family, my kids? Am I supporting my staff? I've got 80 staff in this building. Um, you know, am I making sure that I'm looking after my health, my wealth, my well-being, and everything else? And it's important, some people, they don't know how to be selfish enough. You know, the people who give a lot of their time but don't know how to charge or undercharge. Yeah. Um, but then the selfless, because I think the perfect balance um, of growth and progress individually and of humanity is that, um, that line between selfish and selfless. Um, you have to be selfish, in, in, selfish enough to be able to survive in a pretty hard world. Yeah. Um, but if you become too selfish... Um, you'll get feedback from humanity um, that people don't like that. And um, this is why when people get rich, people often like, oh, I want your money. Or, you know, I, as soon as I set up my foundation, I was getting about 10 to 15 letters a day come through my letterbox pitching for money. And, you know, once you've got really nice cars, 
Um, I bought about £400,000 worth of cars in a day. Um, and, you know, like people want a piece of that and they know a piece of that and you've got to increase the security around your house and you get more trolls and um, haters and that kind of stuff. So the world will have a way of keeping you in balance. Yeah. So I figured I'll try and do that myself rather than needing feedback from the world by setting up my foundation and very early in advance trying to do a lot for others as well for myself. Yeah, maybe I should shout about that more. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just still getting comfortable with that okay as the disruptive entrepreneur how do you feel about being disrupted and um, well I, tr- I would rather disrupt myself than have someone disrupt me like a marketplace can disrupt you you can have a legal case that can disrupt you you can have a, a, re- a really bad health and safety issue like you know if you're Richard Branson and there's a train crash when he's got virgin trains mm. um, you, you know there's, there's a million ways we can be disrupted and blindsided by anything customer complaints yeah. you know or, or whatever so where possible, I try and disrupt myself. And I try and do that by trying to predict and plan for the unpredictable. Yeah. Um, and that might be stockpiling cash such that if there's a recession, we can you run the business for a few years without any extra income. Surrounding myself with people who don't say, yes, Rob, yes, Rob, yes, Rob, which, of course, one, one's ego wants. Yeah, um, but, you know, my MD and my business partner, my wife, you, you know, they keep me very grounded and balanced. If I want a compliment anywhere, I have to go and look for it from someone else because I don't get it from them. But, you know, that serves to keep me grounded and humble and always trying to... Um, I have a tendency to get very excited. And, of course, that's great, get excited and feel good and all of that. But often some of my, you know, least wise financial decisions are when I'm emotionally high, not just, when, you know, making bad decisions isn't just when you're emotionally low sometimes. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I know from time to time in my life I've got harder things to come and I know I'm going to get disrupted. I like to think that... Um, I can take on the feedback and I can learn to solve the problem and, you know, I enjoy solving problems. And even the problems that are hard that in the moment, you're like, oh man, what I could do without this today. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know what? Um, I've learned that the world won't throw a problem at you that you're not capable of solving. Um, and the bigger problems you solve, um, the more of a leader you are perceived by humanity. And, you know, the higher up the chain of leadership or wealth or business authority you go. But then also all that does is invite the bigger, next, higher problem. Problems don't go away, you you know. And the problem that you don't master will keep manifesting itself. You know, like someone in a relationship who dates the same kind of bad person in their life. Or, you know, why does this always happen to me? Because that is feedback from the world to say, when you've learned to master this and grow through this, then it disappears. Um, You know, it's like, stop wishing it were better, wish you were better. Mm. Um, You know, and 364, 363 days a year, I'm I'm all right at this. Because once or twice a year, you get a challenge, which is really hard. Um, You know, one of my heroes is Christopher Reeve. How would I deal with being paralyzed from the neck down? I couldn't even tell you how but if I was 10% as graceful and beautiful in the way that he dealt with it then I would be proud of myself so you know I I like to remember that I've got first world problems yeah you know and maybe bigger problems to come hopefully not um so yeah better to disrupt yourself than be disrupted and then if you're disrupted that's just something you've got to learn but of course when we're sitting here Two friends having a chat. It's easy to say that, isn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So on a more personal level then, Rob, would you describe yourself as being disruptive with your family? We called the podcast a disruptive entrepreneur. 
um, because um, I ask for feedback in my staff, in my communities, as to one word that would describe me. And we distilled down from 50 words. And this was the label that they gave me. This was not the label that I gave me. This was the label they gave me. Um, and I was happy to own that because I thought at the time, you know, that, that that's a statement. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think my wife's very calm and balanced. Um, my daughter runs rings around me and has got me wrapped around and my four-year-old wrap, daughter's got me wrapped around her little finger. Um, my son's comfortable enough to be very cheeky and um, honest with me. He's very polite to the world and then mm. um, takes all of his shit out on me. Um, so, you know, my wife doesn't read my books and obviously to them I'm just dad or husband and that's the way I like it. Uh, like I said, you know, like anything that society or my followers would label me as, my wife is just my wife and um, she can just, she's just got her way of keeping me grounded. And I think that that's really important. And, um, you know, I've been in some very um, infatuated type, emotionally volatile relationships before my wife. I mean, I've been with my wife 11 years, so I can hardly remember it. Mm. But um, I didn't know that the kind of person I needed in my life was my wife until I met her. Um, so that was a, a great gift that came along for me, which I'm very grateful for. Okay. So if you didn't have the disruptive entrepreneur as part of your identity, what off the top of your head do you think would be an appropriate one? Maybe just drop the disruptive entrepreneur and just entrepreneur. Um I've done a lot of research and I've written a lot of articles on, you know, what is an entrepreneur? And of course, there's the sort of the origin of the French definition. And then there's some people who think, well, no one should call themselves an entrepreneur. It's only what people call you. Mm. Um, you know, how do you define one? I think someone who is creative and has a desire to solve problems uh, and then is willing to scale that, i.e. beyond themselves and to a, a, a bigger, wider audience, um, to, to make people's lives faster, easier, better, more convenient. Um, I think that's an entrepreneur, whether it's a Louis Pasteur or Richard Branson or Elon Musk or me or someone who's self-employed who's just starting up in their bedroom but they've got a cool widget or they're a consultant who goes in and helps people one-to-one. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if I think the word disruptive wasn't there, um, I just, I love being in business I love being an entrepreneur to, to me entrepreneur is about creativity it's about freedom of expression of who you are and finding a market to serve and having that fair exchange between me giving value and you paying a fair price for it because if you don't pay a fair price I can't sustain my overhead um, and I've got some expensive cars <laughs> um, so you know I love that side of life um, and 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 you know, I've even thought about renaming it because, you know, like a lot of my guests who I interview aren't necessarily entrepreneurs or, or they have a definition of what that is. I just want to help people grow and be better and give more and um, get their head around some of their um, emotional and mindset challenges and work out how to create great products and services that matter and that last and that help people. I interviewed Macy Williams, who's Arya Stark in Game of Thrones, and she's just launched an app. Um, and I'm going for dinner with her and her team just to sort of have a chat and, you know, see how I can help their business because I'm a bit more experienced in business than they are. Um, and she, she's just got an app for creators and she's therefore she's an entrepreneur. But 
she felt very uncomfortable when I talked to her about being one. So I'm not the only one that has, you know, an issue with certain labels because we perceive we look at Richard Branson. That, well, that's what an entrepreneur is. Unless you're at that level, then you're not one. So, yeah, just an entrepreneur or a creator. OK, I mean, just on the labels thing, I've, I've got a saying about labels are for jars, not people. Yes. Which is a bit kind of paradoxical in light of this, this uh, conversation. But if I can just challenge you, Rob, on that um, entrepreneur only label if we can call it that do you think that really gives an insight i mean it's a statement isn't it? it's a definition of what somebody does does it give an insight then into that person who they really are that heart-centered connection because that is that is that not where the battle's really truly won that connection with somebody rather than just a label yeah i mean i agree with you about labels you know labels are necessary for society for us to quickly distill um, an infinite amount of information to save ourselves time that's a threat that's safe oh i've seen someone like that before who caused me a threat therefore you're like that yeah you you know um, entrepreneur they are that Um, but ultimately i don't think any of us can be labeled we're all unique and we're all an individual and i write about that in my new book i'm worth more Um, so labels just serve to um, assimilate and organise information for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, you know what? I thought I, prob- I probably am different things to different people. I don't really think about, you know, that I've not really been asked this kind of stuff before, which I think in, in one way makes it a very unique interview. I mean, you, you know, like sometimes when I think about, okay, if I want to scale beyond disruptive entrepreneur, okay, it could, it could just be disruptive or disruptors because, you know, disruptive is about innovation, change, um, you know, it's about risk. And, you know, I am about those things. Mm. Um, and then on the other side of it, entrepreneur, you know, is about creativity. Um, it's about solving problems. Yes, okay, it's about uh, making money too. Um, it'd be really nice if I didn't have to label myself and no one labelled me and I didn't label anyone else. But I wouldn't have anything to market. Um, hey, go to my podcast, like print, it's called Symbol. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have a, a name or a label. You know, like I wouldn't want to think, people to think I've completely lost the plot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know what? Like, I've got a lot better at not owning labels that people put on me um, and trying my best not to do it to others. Yeah, okay. And I, and I fully understand that. Um, but I'm going to be self-challenging here against my own views around labels. Um, and I just want to plant, Rob... An alternative, and at this stage, I would request that you just sort of park it at the back of your mind rather than react or comment on it. The VIP, and I'll come to it at the end and give you an insight as to to where I'm coming from from that in terms of a label, an identity. But uh, before that, I want I want to read you, if I may, um, wisdom from an Indian elder, and it'll take me a couple of minutes just to read through it. And then just ask you one or two questions around it, because I think this in terms of identity and goes back to what I said about, you know, the entrepreneur. It's just a title. But certainly from my own point of view and the conversations I've had with many, many people, we want to know more, whether it's you, that person, that person, that person, certainly in the context of a mentor. Okay, so Araya Mountain Dreamer. Have you ever come across that before, Rob? No. Okay. Wisdom from an Indian elder. It is two or three minutes long, so right. just, just yeah. bear with me. And it, tie, it ties in with the title of this podcast, I Want to Know. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. 
It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams and for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are square in your moon. I want to know if you have touched the centre of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine and yours, without moving to hide it, fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine and yours, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning as to be careful, be a realistic or to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. Because I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore be trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it is not pretty every day and if you can source your life from God's presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, YES! It doesn't interest me to know where you'll live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are and how you come to be here. Because I want to know if you will stand in the centre of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when everything else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you can truly like the company you keep in those empty, empty moments. I want to know. Before I ask you sort of two or three questions around that, Rob, can I, can I get your sort of immediate reaction to that? Because I, I personally find that quite emotional and probing. So I'd be interested to see your thoughts, your reaction to that, those questions, that, or that's, those, that poem. Yeah, it sounds like it's not really interested in any labels or um, outwardly manifested um, material gains and more about who you are as a person and staying true to yourself. That's what I would say. And isn't that true that no matter how much we chase external goals and we've got that external success and certainly that perception of external success, because that's always very subjective, that inside, first and foremost, we're human beings with thoughts, emotions, feelings. We need to be loved. We need to be cared for. You know, overcoming that um, limitation that we all have, as Robbins refers to, the, the two limitations that everybody on this planet has around one I'll never be loved and two I'll never be good enough mm -hmm. so I kind of come at it from that from a from a humanity point of view um, yeah I've got I wrestle with some of these thoughts um, and I think it's important to say this at this moment so I feel like any one-sided extremity is probably not the overall reality of humanity so obviously if you drive towards material gain at the expense of others 
and purely to um, feel fill voids um, that can be destructive but I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say because um, I think about this as a parent and raising my kids or as a, a person or a business owner we all have voids yeah. and sometimes I think this naive fantasy of um, perennial happiness and that the purpose of life is happiness um, I, I, I would challenge that from what I've learned and studied um, because we need hope we need a, a utopia to dream about to work towards um, and I think that we need that in humanity because our main purpose is to grow because without growth we're not able to survive in a changing climate, world, you know, universe, even an economy. Um, and you know that often people say things like, well, why does everyone always want more? Why does everyone always want more? Why can't you just be satisfied with what you are? Well, if everyone sat and was happy with where they were and felt warm and happy inside and we all sat around a tree and held hands and meditated and everything else then no, no meaningful work would get done. Elon Musk wouldn't be building something to get us off this planet, which apparently we've ruined. Um, and there would be no progress. And progress is the only thing that keeps humanity alive. Yeah. So, like, you know, like I'm not criticising any individual, but I don't think the answer to life is eternal happiness i think that you know like with parenting it's like just want to raise happy kids no you it's impossible to have perennial happy kids because kids have to figure things out and go through challenge and push boundaries and, and, and that is then is our nature and i've really looked at this inside why do i always want more why do i always want to grow why is it never enough why i'm always comparing myself to other to others you know in some ways it's the entrepreneurial curse but you know like edison wouldn't have done his ten thousands of ex experiment to get the light bulb and um, you know, all these people who, you know, these biologists who must do thousands of experiments to create these vaccines. Um, we would never have any of this if there wasn't that pain of progress. Yeah. And progress is messy. You know, it's like, you know, like ideally we go, oh, let's, you know, well, we're doing a podcast today. Yeah, it's done. Good. No, we need to go through the journey of it. Absolutely. And often through the journey of pain is the most meaning. And um, chemically in your brain, there are four happiness chemicals. And um, Dr. Dr. David J. Lieberman says that um, happiness is defined through his studies as progress towards a meaningful objective. That's not sitting and med meditating and being happy. That is progress and progress is messy. It has to be messy towards, i.e. away from where you are, i.e. more. Um, a worthy goal, not an easy goal, you know, not a given, but a worthy goal. Uh, and so I'm definitely still trying to walk my very linear male, 39 year old, not 79 year old. I'm not a sage by any means brain, <laughs> but I read 100, 150 books a year. I've got, you know, mentors who like people like John Martini who've really opened my mind to a lot of this. Um, and if you look at some of the most successful people in the world, um, like Oprah Winfrey was abused as a child. She has she has void and pain in her life. Mm. If you look at axiology, the study of values, values are driven from voids, i.e. a value is something that we perceive to be most important to us. And what is that? That is something we are unfulfilled in. We are looking to fill 
a void. Once we become fulfilled, we no longer have it as a value anymore because we no longer drive towards it. So, you know, someone says, I just want happiness as, as, a, as a value, as a goal, because they haven't got enough of it. Um, you know, I want to make more money because they haven't got enough of it. Um, and sometimes in people, those voids fill. And when those voids fill, it, becomes, it doesn't become a value anymore. That's why you have the yo-yo dieters. That's why you have people who, when they're single, are down the gym twice a day. But then when they're in a relationship after six months, they're in two tubs of Ben and Jerry's in front of Netflix because they're happy and comfortable. And then if they get dumped, they're down the gym two times again. Because the void is filled. Yeah. And I've, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm talking with this about a lot of personal development courses and a lot of therapy. But the reality is I was bullied as a kid. I was overweight. I've got voids in my life. I, there are things I have low self-worth in. And they stay with me as empty voids that I'm looking to fill. And I sometimes fill them by wanting a compliment of you or wanting to be perceived as important in society because I'm a successful guy who's got fast cars and a successful business and, and, and can, you know, whatever else. Um, I, I'm just as needy as anybody else. I have voids that I need to fill. Yeah. But if I didn't have the void to want to impress people um, and my dad, you know, because often aren't we um, looking to still get love from one of our parents. Absolutely. Um, then I would just sit and do a 30 grand a year job. I wouldn't get up every day needing to do more, needing... So, um, sorry, that was a bit of a, 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 a circular rant, but, you know, we are all, we all have voids. We all need love. We all need love in different ways. And some people need love by going, look at me, look at how good I am, because they never got that from their parents. Yeah. And, um, and others don't need that so much because they got it, but they need it in other areas. So for me, the, the purpose of life is to continue to learn and grow and to um, fill the voids we have. Um, but then once they're filled, new voids are formed. So like this delusion that we're going to be cured or happy or fulfilled or whatever, we're not. We might fulfill a void in, say, wealth, but then another one will form, like it might be health. Yeah. I strive for wealth for so long I took my eye off the ball with my health so then you start filling the void of health and then you're down the gym twice a day and you're eating good foods and everything else and then you take your off, the, off your marriage because you can't keep your eye on everything so it's like I don't, I don't quite understand it beyond this level but overall, overall humanity or the universe has this amazing way of keep us all, keeping us all interdependent where we're all unique and all have a unique set of values and they're, con they're constantly changing. And when I fill this void, simultaneously somewhere in the world, someone has it empty. You know, everything that I stand for simultaneously in the, in the world, someone else is going to stand against that. Um, and it's very, very amazing. And some people call that God and some people call that the universe and, and whatever else. I don't really know what it is beyond that. But I can tell you this, Paul, um, I am still that little kid who got bullied, the fat kid. Um, and whilst, you know, like I have, I've lost the weight, but I've still got that need to be appreciated by my friends or my customers or my clients or my listeners or my followers. And if I didn't have that, if I hadn't, if that void had been filled, then I wouldn't write another book. I've written 14. Why would I write? Need to, I don't need to write any more books. Mm. I don't need to do any more podcast episodes. I don't need any more money. I don't need to do any, any other courses. I don't need to set up a company. I don't need to buy any more properties. I don't need to raise any more money for a, a charity. But I still have to get up every day and do it. So everything that's fucked up about me is also the gift that I give to the world. Just like Oprah was abused. Um, and, and if you look at nearly all successful people, you know sometimes people go, oh, why is it all successful people were like really skinned or they got to this point, their lowest point in their life and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, 
a lot of successful sports people didn't go to school or didn't get a proper education because that was the void that was created that they were trying to fill yeah um yeah ran over no and i get that and what you've done there to me rob is actually not that it needed proving but you've proved one of brenny brown's stances around the power of vulnerability because you really went on that what you've just termed a rant but that that raw truth about you know i'm still that insecure little kid inside and that's all we you know at source we all are but i think that that the paradox is the really strong people are those that concern i was having the conversation earlier on with, with harry about you know i am vulnerable but that's my strength because i know what i am actually i'm not trying to hide it you've got you've got nothing to come at it's out there i proclaim it you know and we, big boys do cry you know yeah. forget this stereotype and this this bullshit image around this that and the other it doesn't exist mm. it's social conditioning that you alluded to earlier on we put things in boxes because we sift it and and then we move on so just on the back of that rob i think i'd like to share something as well which is very parallel to what you know you've said about that young kid being bullied that insecure that insecure vulnerability um about as recently as two years ago um i went to pick my daughter up for an interview and um whilst we were whilst i was waiting for her in the kitchen there was a um we bought her a dog uh, a border collie black and white beautiful beautiful dog piercing blue eyes and i'm in the kitchen waiting for my daughter and as i turn around max the dog's looking at me so i said to my daughter tell him he's staring at me oh it's okay dad he loves you right okay I'll wait for you in the car. So I walked down the drive, waited, and she come down a couple of minutes. She said, Dad, are you crying? And I said, no, I'm all right, babe. Just give me a few minutes. I'm okay. You're crying. And she said these words to me. And, you know, we talk about labels and identities and creating self-fulfilling prophecies. She said, you know, being in my, in my, my, uh, my daughter's in her early 30s, I have never, ever seen my hard man dad cry. And they were exact words. And I said, you know what? Therein lies the problem. I don't get it, Dad. What are you talking about? I said, it's a bullshit image. I've lived a life for most of my life under the banner of survival, mm. protection, vulnerability, call it what you will. What happened there when Max was staring at me, took me back to when I was a kid of seven. And I had a little mongrel dog, little black and white mongrel called Rocky. And that dog was the idol of my life I still think about him every day as a kid of seven mm. and as a happy-go-lucky kid of seven we were extremely poor and this was before I went on my journey of addiction and violence and all this crazy stuff that ensued for for decades thereafter but my starting point my earliest recollection Rob is that is that point when I was happy mm. two matriarchs in my life my mother and my grandmother lived with them both and Rocky. That was it. Life was idyllic. And what that did with, with Max was took me back to that. And that's who I am. I am still, to this day, the seven-year-old kid at, at Source. And that's, that is who I am at my true core self. That happy-go-lucky kid. I cry. I laugh. You know, I love people. Sometimes I don't love them. I won't use the word hate. So when you said what you said there about that, you know, that sharing that vulnerability, I think that is, for me personally, that is massive strength. And I don't say that just from a personal point of view. 
I, I say it around the work I do with clients around getting them to you know, what I call shoot the ego. Drop, drop the mask because we will drop it. One of the things, one of the techniques I do, particularly with guys who stereotypically the egos tend to be a lot larger than the, the feminine energy. Next time you're having a shave, look in that mirror, tell that person in that mirror how much you forgive them and how much you actually love them. Not in a soppy way, because in, in a real congruent way. And you know what? When you've, when you've wiped that shaving foam, kiss that mirror mm. and tell that person, that actually, do you know what? You ain't a bad old lad. So I just share that for, you know, in that sort of that thread around that vulnerability on the back of what you said, you know, and I repeat it yet again. I'm still that kind of fearful, bullied kid. Mm. So I really do thank you for that, because that's opened up another for me. It's took me back uh, and that what I wasn't intending really to kind of go down that line. Mm. But I think with all heartfelt conversations that happen in life naturally, that's what we do, because first and foremost, yes, we might be immensely successful philanthropists, but first and foremost, we're people, we're human beings with thoughts, feelings and emotions. I'll come to um, the seed that I planted, Rob, around the VIP. And I've already asked the question, if you weren't known as the, the disruptive entrepreneur, around the VIP, and this is just my own thoughts, and I kind of just um, offer an opinion, uh, offer you, invite you in for an opinion to what, what you author. Because this is certainly how I perceive, and that's not based on my own opinion. That's based on, you know, conversations. Um, the VIP, the vulnerable, intrepid philanthropist, and I just kind of throw that out there a bit, a bit tongue in cheek. I'm not suggesting for one moment that you know the the disrupted TDE changes. But what I am doing for the purpose of and the of of this podcast is the power of identity, really, and what's emerged subsequently is the power of vulnerability, mm. and it's okay, and it's normal, and it's healthy. So do you know what? All those big boys out there do have a cry now and again, mm. because if you don't, something will give. Mm. Something will give. So, any thoughts on that, Rob? Um, yeah, it's not something I'd label myself. Um, I think more about when people say vulnerability because it's quite a buzzword with like you said with what Brene Brown wrote and things yeah. like that I just think um, being honest and saying it how it is um, and and then letting everybody else own what they make meaning of it yeah so um, yeah okay. just, just say it how it is speak your truth because ultimately, that's all you can do. You're not responsible for anybody else's thoughts, perceptions, labels or anything. Mm. We're only responsible for ourselves, aren't yeah. we, ultimately? Yeah. Okay, so finally, I'm worth more. Do you want to give us a quick insight as to what may come in that uh, that new book? Yeah, so that's all about helping people um, increase their self-worth. Um, and a lot of people feel like they, they need to do something to increase their self-worth. Um, and I'd say parts of the book are things you can do to increase your self-worth. Um, but parts of the book about just uncovering what's already there about you and your self-worth. The reality of individuals is we are all great at something and we are all terrible at something and anywhere in between. So just because society says, oh, well, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the biggest you know, movie star and the biggest paid star in the world doesn't mean he's any better or worse than anyone else. It means that he's great at being Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. Um, and... You know, someone, a kid who plays a computer game who's better than anybody else at it is great at that. Someone who is a great cook, whatever. Um, you know, a great cameraman. It doesn't matter. 
So it's about getting you to see that you are no less worthy than anybody else to stop you comparing yourself to anybody else other than inspiration um, and to give you some practical tools that can help you increase your self-worth in the areas that you want to work on because I don't want to increase my self-worth on being a yoga teacher because I'm not interested in it and I'm I'm a shit yoga teacher Um, I can't even touch my knees when I'm trying to touch my toes Um, so like it's not like people are um, confident and people are not confident everyone is super confident in things that they've honoured mastered my my son is quite shy at school um, and he's quite shy with people but you know you, you get him putting in his putting green at home or you get him talking about dinosaurs and, and he comes to life um, I am perceived to be confident in the marketplace but I have zero confidence in yoga and meditation and um, I, I could pick a million things yeah um, yeah so that's what the book is about. Um, it's probably my most connected book that I've written. I tend to write very practical how-to books on certain subjects, like starting out, get perfect later on overcoming procrastination and overwhelm or just getting more done and money on money and life leverage on leveraging and outsourcing. But this one, I, I guess, has a layer beneath them all. You know, you can't earn money if you have low self-worth because you won't ask for high enough salary or fees. Um, you're not going to go and do stuff if you're not if you have no self worth about it. You're going to sabotage all your actions. Yeah. So I, I guess this could be a a book that would you know supplement all the others. Excellent. Okay, Rob. Sincere gratitude. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, sincerely hope that obviously the listeners get some uh, value out of it. I'm sure they will. And um, so gratitude to the listeners as well for when they're listening and for being part of this. Uh, Mastering Life podcast. Until the next time, keep learning and loving and always remember, Mastering Life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.